Welcome to The Truth Lover. My name is Will Pye. I'm your host. I'm an author, speaker, and transformational coach. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating health, healing, and happiness. Find us and join our mailing list at www.loveandtruthparty.org. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unitive consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as New Earth Ninjas, our playful avatar. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these and within the happiness hacks and other free resources found on loveandtruthparty.org. Today, I'm really thrilled to be joined by a friend and a beautiful soul, Tom Forders Mayer, author, therapist, entrepreneur. Tom has spent the last 20 years dedicated to understanding the mechanics and magic of epiphany. I love that, understanding the mechanics and magic of epiphany. After his life changed in one moment, he has been obsessed with what can be done to help people see themselves and life differently in the most efficient and exciting way possible. He has created an innovative model for happiness and mental health that he is committed to sharing with the world. He is passionate about the power of the human mind and the beauty of the human heart. Wonderful to have you on our show today, Tom. Nice to be with you. Yeah, well, I certainly, you know, me too. And it's just a lovely hearing how you articulate what the Truth and Love Party is about. And, you know, I love it when something is so succinct and clear. You know, I know how much effort goes into that. And, uh, and uh, you've really smashed that. I was just, as you were reading, I was like, oh, I'm so pleased to be here. What a beautiful thing. So awesome. Really awesome. I appreciate that. And yes, you're absolutely right. I think the, the process of getting down to a, a paragraph or two um, took a, took about 15 years. Um, so, <laughs> and I'm not sure how clearly we've got it across our marketing and copy and so on. But anyway, I appreciate that reflection. Well, you know, there might not be lots of people that totally understand everything that that was, but that terminology for me, I, I totally get what you're about, right? Um, I'm not sure, you know, if that's going to work for the mainstream exactly, but but I loved it, and I think it, I think actually it could. So that's a, that's no small thing. I, I think that's that's definitely one of the challenges, and we were touching on this uh, briefly of of being any sort of uh, pace setter or, or or pioneer in in or creating something that's truly new and uh, never seen before. It's like, what is it? How do we describe it? How do we language it? And inevitably, it's going to be misunderstood by the uh, the existing consensus reality, um, which kind of leads on nicely to what we're going to talk about we always frame our dialogues on the truth lover and we ask our guests to come up and i really to come up with that uh, sort of title or topic and you've come up with something really really juicy i think this could keep us going for weeks but we've got um you know just under an hour today the three shadows of spirituality spiritual bypass materialism and activism the three shadows of spirituality spiritual bypass materialism and activism now i'm gonna ask you because I, I think that the first one I'm going to, I'm going to say is simple and straightforward. I think everyone, most people listening to this show at least will know what spiritual bypass is. Like that's going to be clear. It's when we use positive thinking to deny our emotional feeling or, or something along these lines. I'm sure there's much more richness to it and maybe we'll get to that as well. But I'm really particularly intrigued by the shadow of spiritual activism 
and I'd like yeah. to hear more from you. Like, what, what, what does that mean for you? So, um, so essentially, when people get into their spirituality, they start to have, you know, if they, you know, getting good teaching and they're getting good guidance and they're, and, um, and they're connecting well with their inner world, generally what people start to experience is a sense of connection, a sense of unity, um, a sense of interdependence. These are all the really good stuffs, you know, unity consciousness or unitive consciousness as you call it. And, um, and yeah, that's the stuff where we, you know, we as a personality have got a, a wider and a deeper context of understanding and meaning. So it's, it's really is, a beautiful state to get to. And these three shadows are, are results of, of spiritual progress. But it's also the, the, the shadow of that. Any technique, like, you know, I always get nervous when any school just focuses on one technique or one thing because every technique has a shadow. But the three main shadows, as we've talked about there, yeah, spiritual bypass, spiritual materialism, and spiritual activism. So when people start becoming more conscious and feeling the interconnection or getting into the oneness, then what I've seen happen is people start to see a connection between their suffering and the suffering of the world. And we start to realize that we're only as free as those that are free around us, you know? And so what begins to happen is people start to get really conscious about the impact they're personally having on the world and how they can help their brothers and sisters into new levels of awareness. This is also is really, very good so far. Right. That's a good thing, right? It's yeah. all really, really good. Yeah. Um, but, but usually when people are become excited about their development, then within that there's an assessment of where they are and there's an idea of what is good and bad, and there's a craving for more good and a desire for less. And what happens actually, if we're not careful, is our spirituality gets us into a place of judgment. And we then start feeling really driven to make the world different. And we're no longer necessarily flowing from a place of unconditional love and joy and for the sheer delight of bringing light and love to the world that we're putting our arms lovingly around the human field of consciousness in the form of individuals and and gently leading to greater forms of expression we're pointing fingers making people wrong deciding to kind of march against injustice and for me the thing that's wrong with the world is people thinking there's thinking there's something wrong with the world that energy of negation that energy of resistance and um and i think there's a way of being involved in social evolution which doesn't have that energy spiritual activism is when it has got that idea that there's something wrong and it needs to be different and it's my job to change it and you guys need to wake up otherwise we're not going to make it you know and and i know this is probably it's a challenging one because there's a lot of people who re are really passionate about what's happening right now and they're taking a stand and there's beauty in that um but that kind of spiritual activism is really dangerous for our soul really dangerous for our spiritual development and is also da dangerous for making change because it actually probably creates more resistance yeah this is something that i feel 
very deeply about also and you know love and truth party in essence is an experiment in sacred activism and what would um was a part of the um intro that i didn't read which is sometimes i do which is about how we're exploring this paradox of accepting knowing that all is well and seeking to contribute to the creation of more conscious culture and society and of course to the mind that is problematic that, that all could be well um, and we would seek to create some sort of evolution growth change and let's be clear there is there's nothing wrong with the world and there's so much wrong with the world <laughs> this this world is full of the most horrible darknesses and evils and child abuse and the degradation of the planet and inequality i have friends talking to me saying that really there should be no billionaires you know the billionaire is in and of itself a grotesque yeah, so we've got all these different areas that we could speak about and 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 i i love that you've brought this up because as you allude to it's massively topical the extinction rebellion movement happening right now is on the one hand i, I kind of hear you say yeah it's great that people are standing up for something there's something beautiful in that i i also agree that there's an energetic in that that is disregarding what has worked in social justice movements in the past and is counterproductive as well i, I wonder if you can speak more to to what you've observed not necessarily specific to extinction rebellion but um you know, where, where that that shadow how that what that looks like yeah definitely so i'm going to share two things with you because these things have really 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 helped me get my head around this paradox of, of, you know, caring, wanting to improve the world, wanting to be part of that, but also getting the energy right so that it actually works. So for me, uh, I've been a therapist for 20 years and, and in my therapy room, sometimes people present with um, a dysfunctional behavior which is deeply destructive to them and sometimes others. You know, and this can include some really, really, really dark stuff around people being drawn to be abusive, people being drawn to be cruel, um, not wanting to, but finding themselves doing it sometimes. Behavior that you could, certainly from the perspective of mine and certainly from the perspective of social justice, you would think of a label as wrong and bad and should be stopped. <coughs> Even some of it illegally so. Now I know that if I point my finger in that person's face and tell them, bad human, right? Bad human, right? They are not going to shift. They're going to crumple in more and more resistant and dysfunctional cycles of self-aggression, self-loathing, and that's going to play out in all sorts of ugly matters. My job is to lovingly, really lovingly, um, evolve them into a new level of awareness where they can dissolve the trauma <clears throat> which is driving their pain and driving their dysfunction and, and sweetly invite them to recognize that there are more beautiful ways to be and that that's allowed to happen. And I've seen that work so powerfully. And for me, just in simple terms, if that is true of a single human, well, then that is true of the field of human consciousness. So any, you know, and, and, and you know, 
like you know mother Teresa said she'd never go on an anti-war march but she would go on a pro-love march you know it's just it's just it seemed like a small shift but the energy is really different but but i knew that but i still really struggled until what arrived in my brain was um a metaphor which has completely changed it for me so i'll share that with you now teenagers especially if we go for young teenagers 13 year olds a lot of 13 year olds not all but many of them probably the majority are selfish self-centered shallow aggressive disloyal unreasonable a whole bunch of things that we could label as bad i know i was certainly at that age i definitely was Mm. yeah and um but the truth is, if I spent time with a 13-year-old, I wouldn't think they were bad at all. I would think that they are young. And I know that the best thing to make them happier and more enlightened and more evolved and you know, to live with more integrity is, is lovingly leading the way, you know? Uh, showing them what, you know, what it is to be better, but in a really loving way, but with absolutely no sense that there's anything wrong in what they're doing at all, because that judgment will just further calcify their position. And so for me, it dawned on me, and not in a patronizing way, not in a way where I'm superior and somehow I'm older. I'm like moments away from a four-limb flailing tantrum, you know, anytime. Human consciousness is young. It's shallow, it's territorial, it's proprietorial, it's prejudiced, it's disloyal, it's, it's young. And there's nothing wrong in that. There's nothing wrong in that. You know, 30,000 years ago, we were cave people. You know, it's, I think we're doing really well. And what we require is arm around the shoulder, loving parent, parental support, you know, to move towards more evolved ways of being. There's, no pointing fingers it's not just because it's not kind it's because it's not effective you know yeah I often, so those two you know really changed it for me yeah there's there's much that you say uh, unsurprisingly you know, we've been friends and, and found commonality in much of this over the years and there's something you speak to around that sort of the, the micro reflecting the macro so you've seen that in your therapeutic work time and time again and it brings to mind a, a Carl Rogers quote, um, obviously one of the fathers of uh, transpersonal psychotherapy or humanistic psychotherapy, that for the first time challenged the psychology of the era and said, maybe we should actually form a positive regard, a positive relationship. Maybe we should actually care for the, the subject. You know? And he said, the curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, I change. The curious paradox is when I accept myself just as I am, I change. And that just really gets to the, the heart of what happens in those moments and what's so powerful in, in coaching or therapy to accept someone truly and fully, non-judgmentally as they are. There is something beautiful about that, something that is transformative, that's unseen. Um, so I, I, I echo that and uh, I also hear you that it's not just a point of style or preference or morals or ethics or what's kind, but it's what, what works. It's what's most effective. 
and I, you mentioned Mother Teresa, another sort of great figure of the 20th century, Mahatma Gandhi, of course. Satyagraha was the essence of this extraordinarily effective collective movement that was seemingly impossible. Indian against the Indians against uh, this 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 you know, global empire of extraordinary military might and arrogance and all the rest. And this chap uh, brought peace and respect and love for his opponents, such that however much they dismissed his appearance or his race, perhaps, there was this acceptance, there was this willingness to engage with this loving being. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's something very, very profound in that. That, to be frank, I don't observe in the Extinction Rebellion as just using a, a topical example. I think that on the one hand, they understand the mechanics of social change well. There's been a lot of study. They know it's 3.5% that's required or whatever. But I think it actually lacks that spiritual essence or that truth or that peace. You know, peace not as a as an idea, but peace as a nervous system, as a as a mind that is I in peace. A, I think that's a useful reflection, and I think I think as you as you're saying that, what becomes clear for me, and I'm nervous having this conversation because, um, you know, I don't want to be attacked by the heart of this kind of movement, but but essentially, and I I really understand, but because essentially what I think rested in, in Gandhi's heart was he was motivated to change it, but underneath it, he had an incredible faith mm. that everything was as it is supposed to be. And I, my sense of the energetic vibration I get from almost all protests, which I've been part of at times, um, is that something's wrong. And so I'm not, you know, like I said in my teenager analogy, I don't begin with there's something wrong in the teenager, let's fix it. It's like there's something beautiful in the teenager, let's evolve it. Like I see something beautiful in the very egotism that is destroying the earth, you know, it's the desire to survive. It's like, it's not an ugliness, it's a, it's a beauty. All the structures of ego are there to protect us. And in so many spiritual and social movements, there's just an attack on the energy that they see as being a problem. It's like there are problematic um, energies in our system, but they're all motivated towards survival. Even the really destructive and self-sabotaging behaviors, which are really hard to see the beauty in, they're, they're just, they're old trauma playing out an old narrative that once made sense of pain. You know? And so my starting question with my clients, not to them, because they're turning up sometimes in terrible upset, inside my head is like, how is this perfect? How is what's happening in their external life a reflection of the trauma on the internal life? And how can I bring love and awareness to that? And so I think if we were to interview lots of people um, in the Extinction Rebellion, they would very understandably be like, no, we have a serious problem and we need to sort it out. Uh, but for me, that creates the energy which, um, yeah, I'm, I, don't, I don't know if that's going to improve anything. I don't know. I'm not saying it's, what I'm saying is like it, it may well also be laying down the seeds of later, later issue. You know, Flaubert said inside every, every revolutionary is a policeman. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> and so you know, history has shown in, in, in France, perhaps more than anywhere. Right. But, yeah. You know, there's this, 
you know, and so yes, maybe they'll create change, but then what, what, what will be laid down in the rigidity of the vibration of no that will later curse us, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it feels that there's something in this as well around, so I hear you about the resistance, you're creating more resistance. And if we look at the, the war on drugs or the war on terror or the war on cancer, we see that what we do is we create more terror, more cancer and more drugs. Uh, this is the, the facts of those campaigns. They've been absolute spectacular failures. We've spent trillions of dollars and made some marginal gains here and there. Uh, and I wonder if what we did were to create programs of of uh, so let's look we've got drugs terror and cancer if we were to create uh, programs of um, resilience of peace and of health like how do we help people create health it's one of the you know, to actually focus on the outcome that we desire um, cool. and yeah. to, to have that in, in integrity in our energy in our envisioning in our uh, strategies so there's no means justifying the end you know, the, 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 the end is the means if we want peace we've got to bring peace and if we want peace we've got to have peace in our own system in our own energy field in our own nervous system or, or else we're not going to be creating peace you know, peace, peace, peace is already here <laughs> I really hear that. I mean, one of my personal bugbears, and I don't subscribe to the idea we have to be perfect to be able to take a stand on something. But if someone is into environmentalism and not destroying the earth and they smoke cigarettes, I'm like, you are, you are fucking kidding me. You know, it's like you are destroying the forests. You know, if you cut open lungs, they're like lots of little broccoli florets, right? They, the, the lungs look like a forest of upside down trees. As it goes smaller and smaller and smaller, it's literally like upside down broccoli florets. You know, it's like a forest. And you are literally polluting your own forest and complaining about what we're doing to the forests in Brazil. You know, it's like, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. You know, it just doesn't, it just... You know, it's uh, the whole, you know, charity begins at home. That's what that means. It's like, you know, we, changing the world is, 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 just a, is, is a lot of energy of resistance if we're doing it with what we're talking about. Whereas actually lovingly working on just making sure that your little part of the ecosystem is clean and healthy and, you know, it's like, that's a huge part. And I know, you, you know, there's a lot about, extinction rebellion which is saying that it's like take personal awareness look after yourself eat less meat you know be aware of your personal impact so i get that there's there is beauty in that too but yeah so many i mean for me one you know so another example is macmillan are raising money for charity uh, for cancer right cancer research and one of their ways of doing that is everybody coming together and having cake but eating white sugar to raise money for cancer is like, really? I mean, we know that white sugar is cancerous, you know, it's really bad for you. It's like, you know, it's myopic and it's frustrating because it's a lot of good energy in the wrong direction. And, and curiously as well, it's for cancer. So we have this, we have this intriguing languaging, um, 
I, where, where was it? I heard someone say earlier on, I was on a, I think there's this guy, Ido Portal. I, I follow him on Instagram. He's this wonderful movement expert. He's got a sort of global following. And someone said, is, is that practice good for uh, golfer's elbow or tennis elbow? And he, and he said, um, yeah, if you overdo it, if you want to do it, like every, you'll get tennis elbow, you'll get golfer's elbow. So we have this like, <laughs> so it's not, it's, it's not, it, it is good for it if you do it wrong. And so we have this, what, what, are, what are we, what are we for? What are we ah. for? And I know that with the smoking example, I can relate in my own experience when I smoked, that was too dull to create resistance. It was a resistance to the pain that I was feeling and a desire to feel something other than that pain or a desire to feel yeah. good and a mistaken belief that's obviously physiologically reinforced through nicotine that this toxic inhaling was going to create that experience for me. And the undoing of smoking for me was to see that, to actually see, oh, it doesn't create the outcome that I think it's going to. There's a mistaken thought. And also to, rather than be giving up smoking, to be seeking to create health, to be seeking to create uh, freedom financially around that, to be seeking to create better smelling breath, to be seeking to create better erections. You know, there's a hundred things that you can create better as a consequence of ceasing smoking. And I know in my own experience, I think there's a lot of research behind this. We're more powerfully motivated by a positive that we're moving towards rather than a negative that we're looking to move away from. So if I'm working with clients on addiction, then it's, it's getting to the root of the pain and the traumas at the heart of that, but also looking at what, what do you, why do you want to stop gambling? Why do you want to stop smoking? Why do you want to stop drinking? What do you want to be experiencing? What is it that you're inspired by and excited by and wanting to move towards? For me, that's been significant to have a, a, a positive pull rather than a, a sort of negative push. And I wonder if that can be extrapolated out to the to the macro. Like, what are we trying to create? Not not to crush the oil companies, but to create you know, sustainable economic systems, for example. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's specifically on the smoking. So, I've been stopping people smoking, you know, for twenty years, and 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 it's a two hour process. And um, the first hour is looking at the psychology of the addiction and, and, and everything you've spoken about there. But when we go into the inner transformational work, the first step is to find the part that thinks smoking is a value. And the first thing, and this is the absolute game changer, is to thank it. Is to thank it because it has been trying to add benefit, add value. Now it's doing it based on some confused ideas and some misaligned thinking. But people have been like, I'm a bad person because I smoke. And, you know, there's a certain amount of guilt and self-attack and judgment. And it's just, that makes it stick. And with any behavior, whether I'm doing smoking, I begin with finding the part that's responsible and blessing it. And saying, actually, you're not the smoking part. You're the change how I feel part. Or you're the, you know, avoid my feelings part. And it's like, I get that. I understand that. Smoking is a really, really bad way of doing that, you know. Um, can we, can we, can we give you a new role? You know, can we, can we ask you to protect with new systems and mechanisms, you know, and it's, and in the love of that, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm so, I'm so sorry. You know, it's like, no, no, don't feel bad. It's my fault. And it becomes a love off between these two parts. And then it's not a willpower thing, you know, because it's not, Oh, I need to be stronger. There's a part that wants to smoke and a part that knows I shouldn't. You've found the part that wants to smoke and it doesn't want to smoke either. 
and so that that it takes the fight out and i think if that's true you know internally then of course it's exactly the same kind of thing you know it's people want to attack trump you know he's just going to dig his heels in further and he's not going to feel understood so he's not going to be in dialogue the dialogue ends with attack whereas actually you know well, i could spend maybe a week with him you know maybe a bit longer um you know could look at at what's driving some of his territorialism and his proprietorialism and his competitiveness and his his egoism you know he's he's young you know and he's got fear and it's coming out in ways where he's looking for dominance and control and more importantly looking for evidence of his powerfulness which is always a reflection of powerlessness so then how do we get him to connect to his natural power without needing to stamp it on the world you know it deserves love you know yeah trump was actually coming into my mind as uh, as as we were speaking just before you you mentioned again we're playing with this intersection of the micro and the macro of the the individual psychology and the the collective consciousness and the inner and the outer and where all this uh, is connected and I, I totally hear you with Donald Trump the it's perhaps never been a more crystal clear example in the public eye of um, a, a severely wounded individual a profoundly insecure consi- considering particularly his financial wealth, his you know, president of the United States status, one would imagine surely this man is going to feel secure and, and powerful and wealthy and safe. And yet we, we see in the way he communicates that he's, he's deeply insecure, deeply, deeply, deeply insecure. And this is, I'm sure, true of many politicians that haven't been loved, haven't been fathered well, haven't been... Uh, created that sort of core emotional resiliency. But for some reason, we have this gentleman where it's just so clear and explicit. And uh, people in his inner circle, I think there's a new book coming out speaking about it's it's like working with someone who's... The the comparisons are invariably either he's like a child, like a a, a wounded toddler, or that he's like a sort of... um, early stage dementia uncle or, or, or grandfather. Um, so I guess what I'm, where I find this is interesting is that clearly Trump, as one example, just as Boris Johnson in the, in the UK or, or Scott Morrison in, in, in Australia, all our, our, our leaders um, tend not to be the most emotionally mature, uh, spiritually awake, uh, compassionate, self-aware individuals, which is not that surprising because that's not the majority of society. Yeah, I mean, by, by the very definition, someone choosing to take a position of power <laughs> would mean they've self-selected not being suitable for the role. <laughs> we do have this fundamental problem. Uh, our economic system rewards sociopathic and even psychopathic tendencies, and it seems that the political system so wedded with that is, is, is similarly set up. 
yeah, you know, the reluctant leader, you know, is is the safer leader, you know, in that sense. I don't mean the shy leader. I mean someone who's like, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't need or want power. It's like, great, well, you're qualified. Mm. It's like, oh no, I want to lead and I want control and I want power and I think things are wrong and I need to make them better. It's like, yeah, you don't get to be leader. <laughs> you get to be second in command, right? That's good. You know, you can, you know, get people in line, but it's you don't, you definitely don't get to be visionary or leader. But you know, for me, it's coming back as well to the kind of the, a movement based on we have a serious problem and we need to make things better. It's like, are people going to bed feeling safer in the world because of Extinction Rebellion or are they going to bed feeling more scared? Because if they're more scared, then actually when it comes down to their backyard and how they behave, they're way more likely to be nationalistic. They're way more likely to be territorial. They're may, way more likely to stockpile on toilet paper. Though, you know, it's just, you know, fear doesn't create evolved thinking. And so if a movement is like, we're really in trouble and we've got a serious problem and we all need to be scared about whether we're going to even survive, I mean, that's the, that's the best way to um, make people egoic and um, problematic. Yeah, I appreciate the the perspectives, and I I know that uh, as you've alluded to earlier in the conversation, they're likely to be uh, concerning for a lot of people. But I feel that it's a, a good example for me is um, the young lady from Sweden, Greta Thunberg, uh, who, in my view, is a remarkable individual, um, admirable in in many ways. Uh, a great example of a of a teenager that's not as egocentric and, and shallow and so on as the teenagers we were referencing earlier, and um, you know a beautiful example of a of an individual on on the spectrum as we say that's got a lot of capacity and and, and all the rest. So I appreciate and admire her and the speech to the UN when she said she wanted people to feel the. Um, the terror that she was feeling and she wanted people to panic. Um, you know, this is not helpful in any way, either to be heard, nor if we were to take her advice to, to panic. This is the one thing we know as humans, if something really shit is happening, if there's a fire, if there's a earthquake, panic is absolutely the last thing. Chaos is absolutely the last thing that's going to be of any help. And it brings to mind, and I want to sort of bring it back to that, the, the, the spirituality that we're, that we're speaking about, the shadows of spirituality, that, that there is a, 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 a value and a, a quality in peace of heart and in peace of mind, particularly from an understanding of the oneness of the world or the interconnectedness of the world that we, that we are actually experiencing ourselves within a unified field of consciousness, the field that our hearts, feelings, our, our emotional experience is, is a vote of sorts. This is one of the central principles of love and truth party. I talk about us being, um, uh, being powerful in the uh, democracy of consciousness, that our 
emotional signature, our electromagnetic frequency that our nervous system is giving off into the world is, is causative. It's the vote that gets counted. We know they don't get counted in the, demo, the, the democratic systems of the world. But our, our state of consciousness contributes to that field where we're in a constant symbiotic relationship with, with, indeed with the planets, with the sun. We actually know this from data. It's not woo-woo. And the moment that an individual shifts into peace or shifts into love from fear, that is a, a causative input into the collective field, into the human consciousness. Agreed. Totally agreed. So I'm not saying don't be part of Extinction Rebellion, right? No. I'm like, but be there vibrating with joy and love for everyone and for everyone that's making right or what you might perceive to be wrong choices because that vibration, and I know lots of people are bringing that, so I'm not saying it isn't happening. Um, I don't think collectively I'm getting that vibe, but, but I'm not saying that it isn't individually driven there. But it's like that, that's the thing that creates transformation and, and moving into even possibly more contentious waters slightly reluctantly. But for me, you know, you see an image of a doctor in the hospital trying to resuscitate a person who is dead and they are definitely dead they're definitely not coming back and the quality of life they had before they died wasn't great. And there's that moment where the other doctors kind of have to kind of stop them from, you know, resuscitating them continuously or trying to electrocute them back to life. And there's that incredible moment where they're like, they stop, you know, they've gone, you know? And um, I know my own spiritual practice, a huge part of what enables me to be free is, is, is bringing a peacefulness to my mortality, bringing an acceptance and a, you know, a transcendent realization of the oneness of energy. And part of that is, is not identifying particularly as being human. I'm you know, an embodiment of an, you know, a collection of atoms that have been in many different forms before, that will be in many different forms again. I believe in the personal essence continuing. I believe that my sense of personal essence is actually the universal essence, just having an experience of a flavor of this thing called Tom. And, and in, that, in that sense, it's like 99% of all the species that have ever existed don't exist anymore. And whilst I like the idea of there being a world for humans, I'm not particularly worried about the planet. And humans might not make it, but I don't, I'm not sure we're necessarily the best design. I'm not sure we're necessarily the best suited. We don't seem particularly sustainably designed. Um, and I'm not saying that means we just give up. I don't want to see plastic in the oceans. That makes sense. But I'm also not overly attached to us not becoming extinct. I, I think that's an important part of it. It's like, let's make it more lovely whilst we're here, but let's not try and live forever. The people that want to live forever, that's just another form of egotism. Let's let go of the human race needing to live forever. Five billion years from now, which is not that long, the sun is going to implode and the earth will be evaporated. I, I want to I say it, it, it is that long. Five, <laughs> five billion years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's a fucking I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I spoke the other day, you know, we're so humans in this form, in this in like the standy uppy form, like as human sapiens, that's like thirty-five thousand years, right? In some humanoid form it's been about five million years, right? 
but we were pretty monkey-like in the beginning. But like dinosaurs had 170 million years, you know, that's mad, you know. That, that, that's a good innings, as they say. <laughs> right? It's like, you know, I'm not sure we're going to be quite so lucky. Um, but I'm not that worried about the planet, you know, and I'm not worried about the planet because um, uh, its time is finite too. And I'd like it to have the best quality of life whilst it's alive. And I'd like us to have the best quality of life whilst we're alive. And I'm passionate. I'm doing my bit, you know, for making people more peaceful and loving so they're less destructive. It's not like I'm not working on that, but I don't want to work from that with the idea that there's anything wrong because I don't think it's going to make anything better. There's another uh, great figure of history that um, many claim to follow, um, Jesus Christ. Uh, this, this wonderful phrase of the the peace that passeth, path, passeth very uh, old speech, passeth all understanding, the peace that passeth all understanding. And this is a, for me, this is a nervous system that's come into balance, that's deal, uh, that, that's, that's been through the process of loving and meeting all that was previously thought to be unlovable, all that trauma, all the pain, all the shame, all the heaviness, the depression, the anxiety, um, of, of, of this lifetime and, 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 and the species has, has been met and the nervous system has come to peace and it makes no sense to be in peace in a world that's burning, that's falling apart or indeed in a body that's, that's dying. You know, of course we are all in a slow march towards death. And I totally agree that this, I find this, this desire to create eternal life, to get cryogenic or to do this or to do that. It's just absolutely absurd. Uh, death, as Steve Jobs says, it, it, I, I totally agree. It's one of the best inventions. It, it limits our capacity to procrastinate. It gives meaning to our experience of being alive. And yet another paradox I feel you touched on is that when we're acceptant of our mortality, of death, there's a, there's a greater aliveness that is available to us. So there is something very alchemical, something powerful in this acceptance, in this acceptance of, of darkness. There is a, a light brought to that darkness in the acceptance of fear. There is a love brought to that there is a fear that uh, a love that becomes manifest and in the acceptance of death like and i mean that as a here now like i'm about to die i could die in this next second this body could cease to ex uh, to expire or could expire and cease to inspire in any moment and in the acceptance of that a greater liveliness and, and, and aliveness tends to happen very common that people when they're met when they meet death, when they, when they really like physically come into contact with their mortality, there's a greater aliveness. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a dreamer and an optimist and I'm hopeful that in this collective facing of at least the idea of our extinction, um, that we can meet that with, with, with love and, and excitement and uh, yeah, focus our minds on creating a more beautiful reality. Um, yeah, I think that's beautiful. And I, I agree. <clears throat> you know, it's funerals are really important. You know, there are two ceremonies that I believe are really important spiritually for our communal health. 
um, uh, weddings. Um, weddings are designed to remind us that whether you, you know, believe in, you know, traditional forms of relationship or monogamy or any of those things, but ceremonies where people that love each other standing up and saying, I love you, I love you and I want to be with you and want to raise kids with you and, or have people might want to choose to live. Um, that reminds us, oh yeah, life's about love. When we go to weddings and ideally we're, our hand is reaching out to our partner under the table and giving them a squeeze and we remember, Christ, um, you know, what the hell am I doing? Life's about love. Yeah, it's important. We need rituals that remind us of that. Parties, weddings, I'm all for it. There's a reason possibly why I've been married <laughs> two times. Um, got a third wedding on my way. So it's, you know, love a wedding day um i love the integrity um, of that you, you love weddings so much that you've credited three and, i know, you know. I know i'm being flippant it's terrible <laughs> um but um but the other one which is really important is um funerals funerals are are really important because what funerals are meant to teach us and remind us is like damn what the hell am I doing? Life is short. What am I doing? What am I in this relationship? Why am I in this job? What are, you know, it's like life is precious. And so if as a result of how we're treating the planet and we can see our human mortality looming, yeah, it should be about making us think, Christ, do we really need to use single-use plastics? It is about reconnecting to our values and remembering what's important. But for the love of it, right? For the, for the sheer love of it. But, you know, us being being at peace with our death you know for me when we really really get the oneness stuff and we no longer identify with the personal form and we see ourselves as connected to all things as ourselves in the really ultimate state of that freedom in lots of the ancient texts as i'm sure you're aware that they say that the, the the wise seer can move through the jungle and they will not be attacked by the rhino not cut by the tiger the the ancient stories we have of the indian yogis meditating surrounded by cobras in the um native american traditions the the the, the wise um leader surrounded by rattlesnakes you know and but even in our kind of modern kind of um films you know you've got mel gibson you know, he's so powerful and lethal weapon that he can do this to a guard dog in, an, in a compound and calm it down. You know, we, we have this intuitive sense that there's a peace and a grace that we can exude that mean we wouldn't be attacked. And so for me, like the ultimate level of oneness consciousness would be that if we were walking through the jungle, we would be as identified with the trees and the insects and the lions. We would feel those things as, as ourselves. So if a lion happened upon us and decided to eat us whilst we were being eaten, the ultimate state of, 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 of enlightenment would be to be pleased that we as the lion were having a good lunch. Now, I know that's a stretch, but the, the kicker for me, the paradox for me, is if we could be that at peace with being eaten, when the lion saw us, it is likely it wouldn't eat us because the grace and the peacefulness how we we attack fear it's the adrenaline response that's why you shouldn't run if you happen upon a bear that's why you shouldn't like run if you happen upon a wild dog it's it's the grace with which we can stand there we're saying i'm not i'm neither I'm neither food nor attacker and there's an amazing woman called Cheetah Woman, if you or your audience check out her um, on YouTube, and she walks into a pack of cheetahs, and she, they're all growling, and they're wild, and they're like, what the hell is going on? They can't get their heads around it, and they, they kind of look like they're going to attack her if she turns her back. 
and she runs at them for like half a microsecond and then pulls back and then goes to turn like she's lunch and then turns back and they don't know the rules and basically by doing that for about two minutes they're like oh you're not going to attack us and you're not lunch and she sits down and then is stroking wild killer cheetahs and it's like it's like it's being that at peace with our passing it gives us a power to create change and to bring the wild and crazy frenzied mad things to peace too and so it's you know it's we're not it's not about hippie values of love and peace in the face of adversity and not taking action it's like it's the transformative power of that quality of grace that I think is going to change things. And, and so I'm all for that in action. Hmm. Aho. I love how you went from, uh, if I heard it correctly, Indian sages to uh, Native American wise men to, to Mel Gibson to Cheetah Woman. And what I got in that is, yeah, let's, I'm going to Google Cheetah Woman and brought to mind Aikido as well as a great example to actually see a physical representation of what we're talking about here, to, to move with the energy, to be defenseless and thus be safe and protected, to be accepting of the attack and thus be unattacked. Um, yeah, I, I admire your work in the world, Tom, and I really appreciate you taking some moments to share some of your perspectives with us. I hope that it contributes to broadening global conversation about what it means to be human and what it means to be a positive source of change in the world. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I've wanted to, I've wanted to do one of your truth love podcasts for a while and I've been a bit shy to ask. So thank you for saying yes. Well, you've, you've been on my list of people to ask. So it was about time that we, between the two of us <laughs> just, just, just made it happen. I've got a very long list. Um, I'm grateful we've had that opportunity today. Brilliant. Thank you. And thank you too. And I should mention, you'll see it in the program notes, uh, freemindhub.com is our guest's website. You can find out more about Tom and his books and his wonderful meditation app there. And as well as thanking Tom, I want to thank all of our guests, our listeners, our viewers and, uh, and listeners. Thank you for listening and watching. You can visit loveandtruthparty.org to join our community, download or order love letters, register for our newsletter, connect on social media, and even consider a financial gift at loveandtruthparty.org. Thank you to all our existing supporters and contributors. Together we are creating kind, conscious courageous human community.